Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the SJ Chronicles. It's just gone 8.30pm, Friday the 27th of October. I'm pleased to say that today is uh, day 8 of 8. <laughs> um, I said that before we knew it would be Friday, and it's Friday. Um, so yeah, you know, just finished this run of pretty hectic times, but um, all good and looking forward to uh, at least a full day off on Sunday. That would be that would be lovely. Spend some time with Layla. Um, yesterday was uh, yeah a bit of a whirlwind day. Really, I pleased that I managed to record a Vet Physio Life audio podcast episode with Kim. Um, we've both been pretty um, busy in the last couple of weeks, so we've sort of not managed to do as many episodes as we used to. But um, hopefully, we'll get back on track next week. Um, also had a really good uh, catch-up call with Rue and Stacey and there's some things in there that I want to talk about in a bit more detail about some of the things that we were talking about. It's really cool to be able to um, chat through those things. Um, and then I went to do my CPD session last night. Um, I said before, you know, that we were, I was going to try this big group case discussion thing. Um, and yeah, it went, it went, it went well. There was quite a lot of engagement. Um, as always, you know, you're going to get some people who talk a lot and others who don't talk too much. Um, but it was, it was balanced enough that I, I think it was a good, a good session. And you know, it overran, but not because I overran, but because people had more questions to keep asking. So I guess that's always a good sign. I have to say it wasn't the smoothest travel. Um, it took a long time to get there. And uh, and then on the way back, I got absolutely um, trashed by the motorways. Um, I suppose they have to do the motorway work at night because they, the roads are quietest then, but um, shutting the M25, which is the motorway that orbits um, London, is never helpful. Um, and unfortunately, I wasn't using Waze lesson learned um so i ended up stuck <laughs> in the middle of a traffic jam at like 11:30 at night um for a very long time so that was not ideal but um but yeah it was, a, it was a good session and then today um was a filming that uh, <clears throat> i said we were going to be doing um sort of a promo video around the ralph um which was also really interesting i think it went very uh, went well but it's difficult to know at the moment until we actually see the end product um but i tell you what it must be a, <laughs> a special kind of skill to be um you know a film producer or a documentary maker or something because a lot of time goes into preparation and getting everything just right and positioning the cameras and the lights and you know reflections and shadows and <laughs> all that kind of stuff um sometimes for you know a, a very short clip of footage um, but yes, yeah, so it's cool. So we'll see what that looks like. I should, um, before I forget, actually, I also want to say thank you very much to Mel. Um, I mentioned before that Mel is a fantastic artist. And um, although we haven't had any orders for quite a while, bizarrely, um, you know, does these portraits for the Ralph site as well, where she does them I sell them for a reasonable fee and um, the money goes towards helping to fund the Ralph site so that's pretty amazing but um, I saw Mel today and she surprised me with a 
fantabulously awesome uh, portrait of Ralph's face. Um, so quite zoomed in really so you can see his eyes and everything and it's yeah it's really quite striking and um, <clears throat> I've put a photo of it on my personal Facebook and on the Ralph site Twitter and Instagram so if you'd like to see it please do check it out on one of those um, platforms it's uh, it's really very striking and it's kind of got pride of place downstairs in my house um, now and I'm sure we'll find a, a great home for it um, I've got a few things of Ralph and actually Mel did another portrait for me a while ago that um, again is in the house so yeah it's uh, it's truly awesome so thank you very much Mel thank you for everything much appreciated um, I'm gonna check out of this segment and come back on the other end and talk some rambling stuff back in a sec okay so there's a few other things I wanted to chat about um, and this is sort of in no particular order um, <clears throat> the first was back to the veterinary CPD event and um, what was very interesting about that was, you know, the veterinary profession is quite complicated in a way because um, there's just so much variety. You know, if you think about <clears throat> the different environments in which, say, your dog or a cat may receive healthcare, it can vary, like, massively. Um, and this, of course, applies across the world and within each country similarly. Um, so even if we just take the United Kingdom, I mean, the environments in which dogs and cats are treated is going to vary quite significantly and obviously I focus on teaching about emergency and critical care and last night at the CPD event I was the case scenarios were emergency case scenarios and um, you know I've, I've sort of made it a point for the last few years really of my teaching is to try and speak to everybody to their individual circumstances right so to try and make sure that you are providing some sort of useful valuable discussion to everybody and trying to contextualize it to the environment in which they work because otherwise you know kind of what's the point right if you teach just one way of doing something and somebody cannot do that then what are they getting out of you teaching it you know it's a kind of um so but what you will find sometimes and this is what happened last night is sometimes there are members of the audience who don't have that sort of insight because what you know why would they in a way they're not tasked as educators but um so they sort of have a well this is how i do it and this is how i think is the best way to do it but others can't do it that way because they don't have the facilities or they don't have the staffing or they don't have the time or whatever it might be and you know you have to be um really careful to not be too dogmatic but to try and um appreciate different people's circumstances and try and help them to do the best that they can in the environment in which they find themselves so for example last night you know there was this conversation about well <clears throat> one of the people that was present was a vet who you know works in a place where basically the building gets shut but i presume i didn't ask her but i presume this is a corporate that's based in you know a pet shop big pet superstore type environment and the whole building gets shut down so basically the dog if one of the dogs, for example, we were discussing, that dog just cannot be in that building at night because the building gets shut down. You know, so um, she's got to find a solution that means that she manages the patient in a way that the dog cannot be there in the evening. Um, 
whereas others, you know, work in a mixed practice and they have a different kind of setup and then, you know, others work in a referral environment and they have a different kind of setup. So, like, it's about contextualizing and sort of understanding that it's no fault of the pet carer and it's no fault of the pets, the patients. Um, it's no fault of the people. It's the nature of the profession. Um, but as I say, the same also applies to human healthcare. So it's not like every human healthcare environment is the same either. And the tough reality of that is that some patients will get, uh, you know, I, I don't mind saying it, will get better care or worse care relative, relative to others. And, um, you know, for me, it's just about being honest and transparent and saying that that is the reality. And then you have to answer the questions as to why is that the case? And, you know, that might be skills, experience, expertise, equipment, manpower, um, finances, you know? So, so some of the discussion was really about the realities of delivering the care rather than necessarily the, the science of the care itself. But that's kind of how I roll in a way, really, because I want people to I want everyone to appreciate everyone's circumstances so that they can try and empathize with each other um, rather than necessarily kind of sort of having a bit of a well I do it better than you attitude. Um, so yeah, so there's some interesting moments last night, but I have found in my teaching that if you're honest and candid and speak plainly and truthfully, um, generally people take it all quite well really and it becomes a constructive discussion rather than anything. There's always going to be some people that are a bit defensive and, you know, that's fair enough. Um, you can totally understand that too. So, anyway, so that was very interesting last night, and it's partly why I think these case discussions are very valuable, really, because it's an opportunity for people to share their different experiences. Um, I actually didn't intend for this <laughs> to go on this long talking about the veterinary stuff, but anyway, um, I'm going to come to the end of this five minute segment, so I will uh, pop back after the interlude and carry on. Cheers. So the next thing I wanted to talk about was empathy, and actually this sort of follows on from the last segment um, and relates to the conversations that Rue and Stacey and I were having on the phone yesterday. Um, we were talking about the circumstance when somebody's, you know, living their emotions and um, either stressed or anxious or fearful or whatever it might be. Um, basically some sort of emotion that has negative connotations that um, that they're experiencing and living and I, I this is not um, my analogy but I'm basically passing it on directly I think from from Rue and Stacey so um, they'll I'm sure point out, <laughs> point out if I've transferred it wrong but but they were explaining this idea of you know um, if you have somebody, for example, in a stress bucket, so if they're at the bottom of their stress bucket, then, you know, what what do you do? Um, so jumping in and being at the bottom with them is unlikely to be a helpful solution. But likewise, standing at the top on the rim of the bucket and just shouting at them to, to get out the bucket is probably not also very helpful. And... Um, it's about trying to figure out a way to sort of be in the bucket with them, um, but to help them to climb out of the bucket with you, um, you know, and so 
that's not by no means an easy thing to do um, and hopefully I haven't murdered that analogy you know it's partly about sort of saying well you can empathize with people you sort of need to understand that you may not be able to actually fix their problems for them and indeed they may not be looking to you to fix their problems for them and that can be such an obvious um, almost intuitive reflexive response I think that that you know people can have especially um, so-called givers um, to want to try and fix other people's problems for them but sometimes by understanding that that may not be appropriate they may not want you to nor may you actually be able to and you certainly don't want to be promising things that you can't deliver on because that's not going to help anybody either so you know how do you help people to evolve um, and that whole conversation I think is a very interesting one and I'm not going to go into the specifics it's actually around a situation to do with somebody that we know but obviously that's a confidential matter um, the other thing that we were discussing which again is you know very very interesting was this whole thing about when you are trying to do something different um, in the context of the Ralph you know we we believe at least that we're trying to create somewhere that is a one-of-a-kind that the depth of the culture and the core values um, and the ethos on which the place is being founded and the authenticity and the commitment to that is at a level that you know I think genuinely there can't be that many places there will be places there just can't be that many of them and I'm certainly not sure in the veterinary environment there are many of them but when you're trying to do something like that and it's so unfamiliar to so many people and yet it feels so true and, and intuitive and right and resonant to you you know you have this dual challenge of trying to make sure that you safeguard that and you don't compromise on it and you deliver it because that is the founding vision and yet bringing all the other people along with you right and I always say on these segments you know that it's all about the people um, and so the success of something like this in terms of delivering the Ralph and having it consistent with its founding culture is entirely dependent on the people and for people like me and Rue and Stacy, it's therefore entirely dependent on our ability to bring everyone along with us and for those that it doesn't intuitively resonate with to help them understand to give them the opportunity to get immersed in in the whole vision and to see how it feels for them and let them taste it and see if you know like if there is resistance there can we help them through that um, because some people who are you know quite intimately involved in the project clearly still don't get it um, and this is part of the other thing we were talking about you know just and these are people that have been part of the project for a while so you can imagine as we get more and more people joining the the um, the scope of the challenge right and yet unless you're obsessively and authentically committed to it you can see how it would um, it would fail and you would not be able to protect the vision um, so yeah that was something else that so uh, you know we were having a good old uh, chat about I'm going to pop back after the uh, the final interlude for one more little bit of uh, rambling, so I'll catch you again in a second. Okay, and final um, final bit for this episode. Um, you might remember some time back I mentioned that I'd met with um, a couple of vets who have started this initiative in London to help the dogs um, that live with homeless people and I had met with them and tried to share some um, 
thoughts around what I thought they might want to be doing. Um, and, uh, you know, we sort of agreed to keep in touch. And we've had a little bit of contact on social media since then, but, but I, would, I would be lying if I said <clears throat> we had been in touch much. But um, what was very good to see yesterday and also proves a thesis in a way is that sort of unbeknownst to them, they've um, got themselves a little bit of Twitter notoriety um, in a good way, where somebody who's got a bit of a following because she appeared on a TV program um, basically took it upon herself to try and gather the troops, as it were, within the veterinary sector um, to try and get some, to try and get these individuals some help. And you know, of course, unsurprisingly, because what what they're trying to do, it's hardly something that's controversial in terms of something you wouldn't want to be involved with helping. Um, a number of people, you know, have come out to say, "I'd like to help. I'd like to help. I'd like to help." And what's the thesis or what's the point? My point is that it happens on Twitter. Um, and, you know, part of what I was saying to them when I met with them was that they needed to, <clears throat> that this project that they're working on is perfect for modern digital communications because, you know, there's, there's, there's so many great stories around everything that they're trying to do and that they needed to harness that um, and not rely on somebody else to get them exposure and traditional media and stuff like this because you know you're dependent on somebody else and you could be waiting a very long time and um, there are easier there are easier more effective ways of getting these things done nowadays and you know especially with a story like this right I mean it's not like they're trying to sell anybody anything <laughs> they're trying to help the dogs of homeless people and and the homeless people um, you know so it's been great to see actually that that they've got this um, stuff going on on Twitter and I know about it because the person that started the initial message included I think about eight or nine people in the veterinary sector that I guess she considers are influencers in inverted commas and, and I was one of those and so now I'm party to every retweet and and response etc that happens um, so yeah so really pleased for them because obviously you know that's that's very important a bit going back to what I'd said, I think, in a few episodes, though, I, I won't know this and, uh, you know, we won't know this for sure, although I guess I could ask, but it's not necessarily my place. But what would be really interesting to, to see would be how many of the people that have said they're going to help will actually step up and help in a meaningful way. And this is sort of what I was saying to you before, I think, in a previous episode about it's one thing to talk the talk on social media and say all the right things and so on but who's actually going to help and even more than that who's going to help and not talk about it <laughs> you know so um that's more the kind of thing that I, I i like to think i would do which is to help but not tell people on social media that i'm helping um in certain circumstances but you know it sort of depends on i guess what you feel you're trying to achieve and whether you you being known to help is going to get other people involved right because sometimes that happens too so because somebody can see that, that this particular individual is helping or promoting something, then they'll get involved too, right? So I think you kind of have to make that judgment on a sort of individual circumstances. But yeah, I would love to know just how much help they truly do get at, at the end of all of this. Because I know part of the challenge they were having before was, um, you know, that people had been offering to help but not then necessarily delivering on those offers of help. Um, and ultimately, you know, talk is cheap in that regard. Um, I wish that obviously I was in a position to do more for them at the moment, but as you know, I, <laughs> I, I'm very uh, resource poor in many ways, um, but I won't be, you know, 
a year from now or going forward more so at some point um but hopefully they you know will be making great strides um by then anyway but uh, yeah so it was, it was interesting for me to see because it is this kind of modern marketing modern digital communication thesis that i think a lot of people don't fully understand or appreciate and especially in the veterinary sector um, there are even agencies who think they do that. Honestly, I don't think <laughs> do the job very well, but um, hey, that's uh, another conversation for another time. Cool. Um, have a great weekend if I don't catch you before that, and I will talk to you again on Monday. Cheers.